Hello, I'm John Chambers, and welcome to another episode of Chambers Talks, my LinkedIn podcast. Discussions center around technology uh, disruptions, and it talks about an environment, whether you either disrupt or you get disrupted yourself. I love talking about how business transforms based upon transformational changes to the technology and how you compete, in my opinion, against market transitions as opposed to versus competitors. Today, I'm honored to have a great friend in Padmashree Warrior. Uh, she has been my friend for almost 15 years now, and I had the honor to work with her as CEO at Cisco for seven years, where she was Chief Technical Officer and can the key advisor on our strategy and direction. Before that, she was at Motorola, uh, Chief Technical Officer there, Executive Vice President. Then she did something, she discussed with me, and I said, boy, this is a big jump. And you went to the, the Chinese uh, electronic car maker, NEO, and you were the CEO of the U.S. operations and the chief technical officer for the whole company. And all of you know, they've been extremely successful and probably the key challenger versus Tesla. Then you got that itch again and you jumped and now you're doing a startup called Fable, which we'll talk about a little bit later in terms of a different segment of the market. I've always tried to recruit Padma to come back and work with me again, either in one of the startups or as my partner. So it's uh, in JC2. So it's an honor, Padma, to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, John. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. As you mentioned, we've been friends for a long time and working together for a long time, even when we are not officially working together. I appreciate all of the advice and friendship that you offered me. And thank you for the very generous introduction. Great to be here and share our insights and experiences and lessons with all of your listeners and audience around the world. And I think the key takeaway here is that, Padma, you've done something that almost no one else has done. And you've done it in world-class capability. Uh, you've been one of the top 50 women in business, top 50 women in technology. Uh, you were my best CTO by far. Let me jump in right there. <clears throat> I think many people listening, they understand in theory what a CEO does, and they understand in theory what a CTO does. What makes it work well between the two? Uh, and not just what did we do right, but what were some of the challenges and opportunities at Cisco? And what was it like at Motorola? In other words, if we were teaching the audience what, what you would ideally like to see from your executives, the CEO and CTO working together, what are the key ingredients to make it work? And I don't mind you saying here's some things you got to be careful not to do. <laughs> no, that's such a great question. And I often ask the same question. You know, how did I transition from a CTO or a functional leadership role to becoming a CEO and, and, and then founder of companies? And I would I would just start by saying. Uh, there is no fixed definition, John, as you know, for the role of uh, chief technology or strategy officer really depends on the scale and the stage of the company, um, plus also the market dynamics, right? So what do I mean by that? In some cases, for example, a CTO is really head of engineering and, and typically in that kind of a role, uh, it is very operational. It's very much focused on engineering efficiencies, making sure the product and the features are delivered on time. Um, it's, I would say, a very technical operations role. And those sorts of CTO roles are typically in early stage or mid-sized companies where 
um, you are bringing in a technical leader. For example, if I were to hire a CTO for Fable, I would look for someone who's very much hands-on or also head of engineering. Um, in a larger company, in a company that is it's, it's already established and going through perhaps looking at the next future transitions and technology disruptions like we were at Cisco or any company of that size, I would say, uh, the role is very, very different. It tends to be much more um, strategic, much more about the strategy, not only actually understanding the technology trends, but in some cases even anticipating technology and market transitions as uh, is a word I learned from you at Cisco. Um, it's really about pushing boundaries, setting the technology vision in partnership with the CEO, as well as the other executive team. Um, and, in, and, and that's exactly what we did at Cisco, right? Uh, we really partnered closely together um, in understanding how technology is shaping the shifts that we think will happen in the markets. Um, and based on that, together we set a quote-unquote an agenda, or in my words, I would call it a roadmap for engineers listening in. We tend to think of it as roadmap. Uh, and that roadmap in our case, when you're thinking about a corporation at such a large scale, is not just a product roadmap or a technology roadmap, but the roadmap also has to take in, into account what investments we need to make, what are the mergers and acquisitions we have to um, uh, make, whether it's technology acquisitions or talent acquisitions or acquisitions to get into new markets, new products, what kind of partnerships do we have to put in place? And, and more importantly, um, new business models. I think you were very much an advocate of this at Cisco, uh, yes. pushing us all to really think of new business models. Uh, so I, I think that is sort of how we partner together at Cisco. And you know, I think you always talked about dreaming big. Um, you know, when you dream big, you really need to have the roadmap on how you would execute that on that big dreams. Pavna, you've always dreamed very big, and, and uh, it was one of the many things I loved working with you on is together we could say, here's what's really possible. But you did that at Motorola. You did an amazing job at Neo, now at, at Fable. Uh, how do you think about, how do you teach people to dream big and then to develop what I call playbooks, what you call roadmaps, that allows that dream to work? And maybe on one that might surprise people. Uh, an American U.S. head CEO in the U.S., uh, chief technical officer for a Chinese company, a, a company where the executives really had not worked with the Silicon Valley type of capability. And yet you all worked amazingly together in the traditional automotive area, but really using technology as your key differentiation point as a company. Maybe walk the listeners through what it was like. And how do you balance the ability to bring dream big and really implement technology where every company becomes a technology company, whether you're an automotive company, an airline company, manufacturing, et cetera? Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think, you know, I always say that a, a vision or having a big dream without strategy and execution is is just that, right? It's, it's You'll never be able to realize it. So it's important as you're, dreaming big. In my language, a, dream, a big dream is having a very audacious vision of what you want to become as a company and where you want to lead people. Um, and, but that needs to be substantiated with a, in, in your words, playbook, or in my words, a framework for execution. How will we make that dream come true or, or that vision become a reality? 
Um, and I think in, in that context, there are three things that are really, really important. And I actually, to this day, I, whether it's Neo, and I'll talk about Neo and how that was like in a, in a minute. Um, I think it's really important to have three ingredients in the playbook. Uh, one is a very crisp vision that people really understand, you know, especially when you have employees like we did at Cisco in different uh, countries, different cultures, uh, we really have to make sure the vision is very easily understood by everyone so they can all relate and identify to that vision. Um, You know, I think a very simple way that I now actually force people, whether it was at Neo or at at Fable, to say we need to be able to say or describe our dream, our big dream or vision in three to five words. And they have to be simple words that everyone gets. So at Fable, our vision is stories for everyone. Um, we want to bring stories for everyone. Um, you know, at Cisco, we had changing the way people work, uh, play, and and uh, live to live around the world. Uh, so I think it needs to be really simple, and then it needs to have a good, strong operational plan. And this is where I think most companies fail: is that plan needs to include your weaknesses as a company rather than just the strengths. You have to know what you don't have and what you need to go get in order to get to that vision, right? Uh, sometimes companies have a tendency to perhaps underestimate the gaps. And, you know, I really encourage everyone listening to really be honest with yourselves and say, what are the skill sets we have and can build within the company? And where do we need to go get, get these out from outside the company, whether it's hiring people from the outside or acquiring. In our case, we were very, and Cisco still is, acquisitive as a company. And I would say Cisco wrote the book on how to acquire companies and bring them in and how do we leverage their talent. I think that is so important to really figure out where your gaps are. Um, and then the third thing I would say is talent. You know, sometimes you may not have the talent within the company to, to realize where you need to go to the future. And so you have to go get and hire people that are very different from the people that we have in, in the company. Um, so I would look at those three ingredients, a very crisp vision, understanding uh, what your strengths are, but more importantly, where your weaknesses are and bringing in the right talent. Uh, now let me talk a little bit about my Neo experience. And uh, you were the first person, actually, if, I, if you remember. I don't know if you remember. I do uh, so much because you were deciding between <laughs> several companies. Where did you want to be the CEO? And what do you want to do next? And if you do a startup, what category uh, do you want to focus on? So please. Yeah, that's right. So when I left Cisco, uh, I mean, I didn't leave Cisco because I wasn't happy at Cisco at all. I wasn't. I always tell people, don't ever leave a company because you are running from that place. You have to run to something rather than run from something. So in my case, I left Cisco because I wanted to do to do a startup. I wanted to build a company or wanted to be part of a company. And there were just so many opportunities. Um, and you know, I mean, the choices were very flattering, amazing. You were a sounding board every time I got something that I was interested in, I was call, I would call you up. And then, you know, just a short story. Um, I met William Lee, the founder of Neo. Um, he's an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, very successful one in China, but not very well known in the US or globally. I met him for breakfast in Palo Alto, where we both live. And uh, after the breakfast, I was very excited. It was meant to last 45 minutes, William hardly spoke English. He was talking to me through an interpreter, but I could just immediately capture his vision and passion for what he wanted to do. He had this big dream as as your dream big or audacious vision for what Neo 
what he wanted to make Neo uh, be as a company. Right after that breakfast, I called you actually uh, on the phone and said, John, I just met this uh, founder of a Chinese electric car startup and I'm very excited. And you said, come on over and we'll talk about it. And I actually drove to your house even before I went to my place and we sat on your patio and we talked about pros and cons. And I thought I was asking you, do you think I'm crazy even considering this? And you told me something that I would say is an advice that I tell everyone nowadays it's a, you always have to look at opportunities not as what you would gain from it but what do you have to lose if you if you didn't do it and I don't know if you remember you told me well what do you have to lose you know if you go to Neo uh, I said I don't know maybe my reputation maybe my this or the other and you said all that doesn't matter go where you're passionate about uh, working on something interesting so I, I took your advice and I jumped into it. And people, some people thought I was crazy going to a Chinese startup, uh, I, you know, but I have no regrets. Actually, I had three tremendous years there. It's very different building a startup across different countries and continents and very different cultures between Shanghai, Beijing, Silicon Valley and Europe. Um, as you pointed out, we took the company public in three short years and the years went by so quickly. Um, and it's now a very successful company. It's a, it's, a, it's a second largest auto company in the world. Um, it's not just a biggest EV company. It's a second largest market cap for any auto company in the world. And credit goes, a lot of the credit goes to the team uh, in China and William. But I was, I was proud to have a part in that. Um, yeah, it was something that I... I never thought I would do, frankly, when I was at Cisco, but turned out to be a tremendous experience for me. You've been successful every move you've ever made. And it doesn't mean you didn't face challenges. You clearly did. And you've always been able to navigate through them. We both share the passion about catching market transitions enabled by new technology. All the listeners get Cisco. Cisco basically wove, uh, rode the wave of the internet. But when I first joined, uh, people said, you're, you're with the food delivery service. Uh, and as Jeff Bezos worded very well, even in 1994, when Amazon went public, using the technology that Cisco does for the internet, he said, my most commonly asked question is, what is the internet? Hmm. Yet the ability to catch a new technology change and enable a new business change is what allowed Cisco to be successful, Amazon to be successful. You alluded to the changes at NEO. It clearly caught the technology change, not just to an electronic car, but how you use technology in the car uniquely, which now all car makers are doing, and how do you differentiate your product in a commodity-like market in many ways. Take us to Fable. How did, how did, what, market transition did you focus in on and educate each of us listening a little bit how once again you caught a market transition a new business model and you're successful one more time it's a very replicable playbook but hard to do for many people your thoughts yeah I mean first of all I, I couldn't emphasize more how important it is to focus on market transitions right you know so what exactly do we mean by market transition? It's really understanding where the next 10 years of growth is going to come from, how consumer trends are shifting, how enterprise business uh, challenges are shifting, what will be the foundational 
change occurring in how people work or, or live. I think those are, that's sort of at a macro level, what we mean by market transitions. So I left uh, NEO at the end of 2018 after we took the company public. Um, again, not because I wasn't happy at NEO, but because I really wanted to go to the next thing. You know, I was running to my next thing. Um, and in this time around, I really wanted to focus on doing something in the wellness and health space. That was my primary motivation. I just feel like so much of what we've done in the technology industry has helped uh, in people's wellness and health, but not really the primary, been the primary driver in how we deliver solutions. And so I wanted to like this time around focus on that. And I didn't really know exactly what that was going to be. Um, so I left Neo to really focus on understanding wellness, what would be some broad challenges that could be tackled with technology and as I was searching, I looked at everything from computational pathology, applying AI and ML to help pathologists discover cancer cells quicker and faster, all the way to what I'm doing now, uh, mental wellness. You know, as I was researching wellness more broadly, uh, I came upon a lot of data and reports that were talking about how mental wellness is on the decline globally. Um, so this, I believe, is a market transition that we are going to see happen. Why do I say that? You know, if you kind of look at wellness broadly, physical fitness is now a $4 trillion industry. Uh, globally. And so this includes things, everything that we do, right? Like gym memberships, working out using things like Peloton or, or uh, Zoom uh, sessions and Noom for well diet and wellness, you know, you name it. There's a lot of sol solutions that exist out there for our physical um, wellness. Um, 10 years ago, physical wellness was a pair of sneakers, you know, so it was, it wasn't even really an industry and people thought only crazy people did yoga classes. Nobody would, nobody normal would go to yoga. And now it's, it's like a daily habit for many people. Um, I believe mental wellness is on this movement. There is a movement developing around mental wellness because it's becoming such a global crisis. So by mental wellness, I don't mean mental health. I mean, mental wellness. So things like anxiety, depression, loneliness, lack of self-worth, feeling doubtful about what we are capable of. All these things are trending the wrong way. Um, and this is all data before COVID. So COVID the last year and a half, I would say just made it even worse. And a majority of, of people experiencing these issues tend to be on younger people. So people that are millennial and Gen Z, um, you know, but, but really globally, this is happening. And I, st I started getting interested in this and started to look at what would be some solutions that we could apply simply uh, to help people prioritize their mental wellness and use a fun social product, right? Um, and, you know, how do we, how do people leverage that? Reading surfaces to the top. And according to neuroscientists, uh, reading is much more effective in helping, reading or listening to stories is much more effective in helping us relieve our stress and anxiety, even compared to meditation. Um, so that sort of was the motivation behind Fable. And so we are a company that allows people to read together in groups. So it's a social platform. I think that's the second market transition I'm seeing is there's going to be a shift in how we use social platforms like Facebook and Twitter were social media 1.0 companies. And then we saw the rise of Instagram. And now we are seeing more things like Twitch and Peloton, which are much more 
purpose-driven social platforms, I would say. Um, so I'm, you know, leveraging that market transition. And so combining this market transition, I see for mental wellness movement, as well as a purpose-driven social, bringing those together, that's really what uh, motivated me to start uh, Fable. Well, it's exciting. Once again, another winner and congratulations. Let me move to a little bit different area. Innovation is the future of companies and getting these market transitions, technology transitions right. Yet large companies really struggle with that. And even those that are very innovative often work with startups in a unique way. We acquired 180 of them at Cisco. We did strategic partnerships with startups. Uh, at NEO, I would personally argue that what uh, they did very successfully is they asked you to do what I'd call a spin-in, uh, <laughs> to really do the uh, technology piece and the strategy piece for the company from the U.S. with a Chinese company uh, in a way that allowed the innovation from both countries and groups to work together. Uh, you know what it's like to be on the startup side. You know what it's like to be on the big company side. What allows that innovation to work? And do you think that's going to dramatically increase? And the advice to listeners, especially the startup listeners, how do you deal with a big company? Uh, <laughs> how do you make this innovation work? Often the VCs say, start with smaller companies. The big companies will slow you down. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't really buy that. I think there is, you know, every small company wants to become a big company, right? Um, every small company wants to be a massive company. Uh, and, and grow. That's that's why people start companies. It's and and big companies, you know, got to where they are because they're innovative. And if they don't innovate, they know that they they won't exist for the long term. Uh, I do think there is a there is a place for each, and we need to figure out how do we leverage the best of both. Having said that, I think there is a fundamental difference uh, in what areas you need to focus on as a small company versus a big company. My own experience as, as a leader in a big company, as a leader, as an individual, if you're at a C-level um, in a big company, you need to focus on really having a lot of stamina because you need to have a lot of intellectual bandwidth to absorb all the things that are going on, all of the products that a company like Cisco has, a company like Apple has, or Microsoft has, you know, it's just massive portfolio that you need to really be well-versed and, and understand many, many multiple uh, dimensions of changes that are coming at you from society, from, from regulation, from technology, from customer needs, etc. So when we say big companies have a hard time to innovate, it's because they're juggling with so many variables all at the same time. Um, you know, I think big com companies can innovate and, and to innovate, they have to like really set up spaces where people can think freely and have the freedom to fail fast. Um, I really believe that if a big company gives and creates an environment where they can try things and fail fast without affecting their fundamental uh, you know, revenue stream, then you allow people to experiment and, and get the innovation you need. And a lot of companies, I think, fail to recognize that. And therefore, they, you think like, oh, big companies have a hard time innovating. We did it at Cisco through this concept called Spin-In. We were also very acquisitive. We bought companies. We invested in companies. And sort of like, you know, that's the strategy we used. Other companies have different strategies to do that. In a small company, what you need is a lot of resilience, right? Because doors don't open for 
for you. You have to check your ego at the door. No one's going to take my call because they don't know who Babel is. Like, why would I partner with you? Um, so you really need to like be passionate as the founder and be really clear on what you're doing. So resilience, ability to cope with and uh, ambiguity, being super focused on your product and how it's different from everyone else's. I think those are things necessary uh, to execute in a startup. At NEO too, we had partnerships. We had partnerships with manufacturers in China. We had a lot of supplier partnerships. We didn't really uh, want to invent something that was already out there. And so I think that was very clever uh, in how we were able to get our, our products at NEO to market so quickly. Uh, we didn't invest on building components, for example, that went into the car that were already out there in the market. We just invested on components that weren't there and, and thought about a new generation car and where could we innovate. And so that goes back to strategy. Um, so innovation, I would say for these days, the big challenge as companies are becoming in the digital era, I would say, but becoming much more digital, the biggest challenge uh, when it comes to innovation is the speed of change. How quickly can you get something out? How quickly can you try something? Because it's so quick these days, right? To scale and, and, and understand and get feedback. Um, so it is important that you always stay on your feet. I mean, the one difference I found uh, working at Neo and working for mostly American companies companies before that is how intensely competitive the China market is. It's insanely competitive. And so you constantly have to be on the move. I mean, Neo was very successful, but there were like probably 100 other EV companies that failed that all started at the same time Neo started. So for Neo to be successful, we really had to be constantly ahead of everyone else. Um, and so these days, I would say for people listening, building companies for the future now, Markets are intensely competitive and you have to really innovate at the speed of internet. And so I think those are very, very different dynamics than I would say 10 years ago. Padma, you and I both have always understood that diverse, inclusive teams out execute teams that look alike. Yet being very candid, uh, we've not done a very good job in terms of female leadership. We made progress in the 90s and early 2000s, and now it's it's actually flatlined or slowed dramatically. Uh, you are one of the top leaders in the world, and you just happen to also be a female. Uh, you know, give advice to the listeners on both sides. Uh, for us guys, what we need to think differently about in terms of creating an inclusive and diverse group. And for many of your counterparts, uh, uh, in terms of what it's like as a female to navigate through being very candid all the way through your education system, all the way through the jobs. How do you keep the focus on this? And what advice would you give your female counterparts about how to be successful in their journey? Yeah, John, I, you know, this is near and dear to my heart. And, and we've talked a lot about this. I think, I mean, society is also changing, right? And I think our requirements are also changing, meaning when I started my career almost like three decades ago now, you know, it was really about there were hardly any. I started my career in the semiconductor industry, uh, which is a very hardcore, you know, even in tech, it's like deep, deep tech, uh, hard tech as it's now called, right? Like hardware tech and building chips is like super, super male dominated. There were, I think, maybe two other women in the entire um, facility when I started my career at Motorola Semiconductor. 
it was really about like uh, perhaps you know the inclusion was the right word in terms of like having a diverse team i actually challenge leaders nowadays to think beyond inclusion i often now talk about we shouldn't actually call it inclusion uh, or diversity because we've learned one thing that 2020 taught us it's not just having women on your team or or people that are different um you know black uh experts on your team or latinx experts or lgbtq plus people on your team it is really helping them feel like they belong so i've started talking about the power of making a culture that helps people belong um so don't just have an inclusive team if i'm part of your team and if you don't make me feel like i belong at the table with you and 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 with the with other peers i i will leave right and so it is sort of like how will we as leaders make people comfortable in their own skin and and when we are comfortable in our own skin that's when we can be ourselves and be truly excellent uh, and then we will contribute and so i've started now talking about belonging how do we create cultures that help people belong help people draw uh, on their own authenticity and and be authentic actually just today somebody on twitter was talking about how they were told at work not to dress style and this person happens to be a woman they said oh you're dressing too stylishly for a woman and this was going to make our engineers uncomfortable and uh, so she's being told how to dress and i find that shocking this day and age right and so you know don't say stuff like that let people be who they are let them be authentic whatever you know dress they want to be in uh, i think the workplace needs to be accepting of differences um and so to me it is more about how do we emphasize belonging and then focus on bringing people that are different than you uh that can be different way of thinking different expertise different way they work together uh but if i feel like hey i belong here you know people accept me for who i am they listen to me you don't have to always agree with me but at least listen to my point of view uh then i am more inclined to stay there um and for people with differences coming into a, i would say a, a a majority culture that may be different from from yours whether it's color or or gender or whatever the variation is i would say don't give up you know be passionate you know keep trying to change the system from within it's much easier if you're in the system and and fight to change it um and i think now there are voices there is a lot of support you know there are a lot of people that are realizing the value of belonging and inclusion um and i would say call on that support system to help you and and don't just give up and walk away i know it's hard but we have to all fight to bring that uh sense of belonging to other people you know one of the the challenges of the last 18 months and we had so many women drop out of the workforce was the balancing of the personal life and the business life padma you've done it amazing your <laughs> husband's an amazing guy also very much into business your relationship is 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 almost perfect from an outsider's perspective you have a wonderful son what advice or lessons learned might you share with the audience about how you strike that balance in general and specifically as a female yeah i mean i i do really understand what people were going through young parents were going through this past year with homeschooling or caring for elders at home uh, and trying to work from home it was just a lot right i think i really totally understand 
all of the pressures and demands. And I think what we went through last year was something that no one can say, oh, I totally get it because I've been there, done that. So with that caveat, uh, that what we went through last year was so unique, we all learned. Uh, My experience, you know, how I tend to approach this is like, I don't think of it necessarily as balance. To me, the word balance connotates perfection, you know, meaning like I have to be perfect at home, be a perfect wife, be a perfect mom, be a perfect executive in a tech company, um, you know, where I'm balancing everything. I think of it more as integration. I I think of it as being aware, self-aware of in my in my world, and 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 please don't take this as advice. I'm always careful to tell people what uh, use the word advice because this is my experience and everyone's experiences are different and personal. But from my experience, what I found is that if I'm aware, and in my case, it's four things that I try to be always aware of: it's myself, my family, my work, and my community. All four are important to me. Um, And if I'm able to make sure that I'm spending time on all four of these things and be able to integrate that, then I'm happy. Um, You know, oftentimes what happens is we over rotate on our work and our family and we neglect ourselves. Uh, We stop taking care of ourselves. And I think last year proved that that proved to be a super challenging thing, right? Like where people were really burning out and stressing out. They weren't sleeping enough or eating right we were always sitting and people were ending up with back problems and neck problems just because we weren't moving around as much. So I think self-care is equally important. Uh, what I've started doing is started to build micro breaks into my work schedule now where I don't go back to back. I literally build in breaks where I'm walking around outside, just getting some sunshine or watching the rain. If I'm in Chicago right now, uh, whatever it is, just, just being aware of your surroundings. And the fourth thing that's super important is your community. Um, whatever your community means to you, right. You know, for some people, it's a church maybe. And for other people, for me, it's like doing uh, events like this, you know, sharing my experiences with my community of entrepreneurs and, and people in the tech industry. I know you give back a lot, John, by mentoring CEOs and mentoring leaders inside. Uh, you invest a lot of your time on that. That's your way of giving back to your community. Um, to me, all four are important. And I would encourage people, not necessarily, that doesn't mean you have to spend equal amount of your hours every day. Uh, it doesn't mean take your you know, 10 hours of work day and divide it in by four. That's not how it works. On some days, you may be just working and you know that's what's important. What causes stress though is not really the amount of time or effort we spend on each of these things, but the guilt associated. When I was a young mother, I found that I was always guilty no matter, I always felt guilty no matter what I did. If I, my son was sick and I stayed home from work one day, I would feel really guilty. I was missing out on a big customer meeting and I wasn't there for, for a, you know event we were doing at work and I had to stay home. If I went to work, I would feel guilty. Oh, my son is sick and I'm leaving him with a caregiver at home. I, I'm a terrible mom. Uh, I mean, it's sort of like never ending. And so I advise people don't feel guilty with the decisions you make in life. Just just do, you're doing the best you can and, you know, give yourself permission uh, to, to know that you made the right decision based on the information you had. And at the end of the day, everything works out for the most part. Like my son grew up fine, you know, just because I left him at mm-hmm. daycare. <laughs> uh, 
you know, Padma, the time has flown by, uh, and uh, uh, I could I have another fifteen questions I want to ask you, uh, but maybe in wrapping it up, you've always been able to combine the business model change with the technology change. What are, in your opinion, the major technology changes that this audience ought to be aware of, whether we're a technology individual ourselves or a tech company, or whether we're in traditional business? Uh, what are you betting on? What are the big tech changes you think are going to occur and maybe correlate that to the outcomes that uh, uh, the models could result in? Yeah, I mean, there's some very exciting things that I think we would uh, we were, we're, we will see on the horizon, right? Like, of course, probably overused because everyone talks about is the impact of AI and, and machine learning. But I would say within AI, I think I'm super excited about how how we would see the role of a uh, assistant evolve, you know, things like Siri, Alexa, Cortana. Uh, I think we started off with like, hey, just play this song for me. And now I think it's going to become much more, much more prevalent that, than that, right? Like these days, if you think about it, what technologies could you not have lived with? Um, there are just so many. I can't live without maps anymore. I can't live without online online ordering or uh, delivery system. I can't live without having different ways of socially interacting on digital platforms. So I think, yeah, it, it may sound cliched, but I think AI and where it goes will play a big role. I hope we will see much more intersection of technologies by bio and technology together, uh, healthcare and technology together, what I'm trying to do, wellness, mental wellness with technology, this combination of disciplines, I think is going to be super interesting uh, to see happen. I think one good thing uh, with the pandemic is how quickly we were able to come up with vaccines, right? And so it's sort of like, how could we accelerate and compress times that it took us to come up with drug discovery or drug delivery. We've really done it at super fast speeds, although it may for us, some of us, it may have seemed like it took a long time, but it's remarkable how quickly we came up with that. So I think I'm excited about seeing that much more in the future. Um, the other thing I would say is I think this evolution of a new kind of a purpose-driven social, I think what that means is, is exciting. Fintech and crypto, I think it's like how financial transactions get made. Uh, that's also interesting. It's just beginning to start, I think. You know, Bitcoin's been around for a while, but now people are figuring out how to make some real interesting applications with it. Um, you know, as always, I think this blending of gaming content, you know, the consumer techs and trends, I think we'll see the next next leap in, in that. Uh, yeah, I could just go on and on, but I would say those are the top four or five things that I'm super excited about. Well, Padma, as always, you get me thinking and taking notes myself about what I need to do different. I'm never going to give up uh, getting you back in to run <laughs> my companies or me investing in one of yours. It's truly a joy to be your friend uh, in many ways, your, your mentor as well. Uh, I value the relationship tremendously. I want to thank you for taking time to join us today and for the listeners of the podcast for taking the time as well. I'd kind of like to ask the listeners to uh, rate and review the podcasts and tell us what we're doing right, what we have to do better. Uh, we try to do these at least once a month for the organization, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing the listeners soon. But Padma, I value our friendship. You're amazing. And, and today it was really exciting being your wingman uh, once again. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Padma. Thank you, John.